G'day folks, we're back with our second episode. Billy, this episode easily in our top two best episodes we've ever done. Definitely has to be. Has to be, hope so. Um, this week we did Terminator 2 and we did Responding to Emotions. Billy, give us a quick rundown on what the guys are going to hear this week. Yeah, so hopefully gave something helpful to listeners about how to identify and support your child uh, when they're having some emotional difficulties. And we used um, a scene from Terminator 2 where they've just escaped the T-1000 uh, and Sarah, Connor, John Connor and Arnie are in the car kind of catching their breath and John is having a bit of a hard time with it. Yep, and it is a beautiful scene, isn't it, Billy? Beautiful. Billy says beautiful about 15 times in the episode, but we might send out some stickers to someone that counts up how many beautifuls <laughs> Billy does drop. Uh, it's a it's a cracking episode. We hope you like it. Uh, and again, if there's anything else you want us to be talking to or particular scenes, just drop it in the comments of our Instagram or slide into our DMs or email us at popcultureparenting at gmail.com. But we hope you enjoy it. Hi, I'm Billy, a developmental paediatrician. And I'm Nick, a developing parent. We're going to use scenes from iconic movies to talk about how we best support our kids. This is Pop Culture Parenting. Hey, don't let your mother smell that beer on your breath. She'll take it out on me. Just use your best judgment to trust you. G'day, Billy. Hi, Nick. How are you going? <laughs> Good, mate. I'm glad we're back. Mate, hey, we made the cut, made it through the pilot, <laughs> season episode two. Yeah, what a great experience for us and um, some really nice feedback, which has been good. Yeah, it's been really good. Um, I've appreciated a lot of the comments and people sort of liking the podcast or the Instagram, also giving us a nice little rating on Spotify. I have no idea what our rating is, <laughs> but it's nice that when people say they did, so that was really cool. It sounds like people did enjoy the first week, which was which is really nice. Yeah, definitely. I, I think um, you know it might be a good time now to just say why we're doing this, like in case people haven't listened to the previous episode. We're hoping they will go back and listen to it after this one. Yes, hopefully. Hopefully we'll do some throwback stuff. But yeah, each week, Billy and I are both parents. I'm a dad with two daughters and Billy, you've got one daughter, seven-month-old. Mine are one and three. And um, each week we're going to be pulling together a topic, which Billy's the expert on. Don't worry, I'm not going <laughs> to not going to be covering any um, medical advice for anyone or anything like that or any theory. That's That's Billy's domain. But um, we're going to be pulling out some movie scenes uh, to contextualise some of the stuff Billy talks to so that we can um, sort of understand a little bit more about how we apply it to help us uh, become better parents and those people listening better parents as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's informed by, you know, I've, I've been working with families for frighteningly 18 years now um, in different settings. Um, I'm a developmental paediatrician and, um, you know, I'm really lucky that I get to work with an amazing group of professionals um, and also a lot of amazing families that I've learned a lot along that journey. And I think it's a really helpful way to give some strategies that are evidence-based and practical that have been tested by a lot of people in a way that's going to be helpful for the parents that are listening. Yep. So, and um, I'm here as well because I really love content and social media and um, love movies from the 80s and 90s. So, that's where that's where my years of study have gone, Billy. Yeah, and it makes <laughs> it great fun for us as well. <laughs> means yours might be <laughs> better well spent, but you know, <laughs> finally I'm coming into my own yeah. over here. 
Yeah, same though. I grew up, you know, watching these movies and, yeah, we know even from evidence that it's one of the influences is the culture that's around you as you're growing up and as you're a parent that drives, you know, how you'll behave and the approaches you'll have to stuff. So it is actually really helpful as well as fun. Yeah, yeah. I think everyone can relate to a lot of the films that we're talking about, um, especially the one today we're going to be talking about. It is. It was an absolute blockbuster. It was Terminator 2. The year was 1991. Uh Arnie was huge. Guns N' Roses did the soundtrack. They were also huge. It was, it was a big period of blockbuster movies kicking off. Yeah, it's an amazing movie, but it's amazing as well watching it through the lens of what we're going to talk about because there's actually a lot about parenting um, in there and I think it's a really strangely beautiful movie um, that people might think he's crazy, but hopefully at the end they won't think that. Now, well, 40, was it 30 years on while I was watching it this week in the McDonald's car park uh, on my mobile phone eating a Sunday, just getting a bit of me time late. Um, yeah, I had a completely different lens looking at it. Um, it's really interesting. So I can't wait to unpack that later. But what we're actually going to do first is um, talk about some reflective practice. So taking what we learnt last week or you sort of talked us through, um, I tried to walk away and apply some of that learning. We talked about... Um, time out uh, and using the example of Home Alone and Kevin and Kate having the discussion, I um, I actually really, I, I started to see things a little bit differently this week. I, obviously, I was really conscious of it, but um, when it came to time out, just how I approached it. So um, I might just let you talk a little bit to time out and I'll talk you through um, how I sort of dealt with it. Yeah, and we've been really lucky to talk about this between, you know, the between now and the last episode, mm. um, but... Yeah, so timeout is a thing that it gets put in practice a lot by parents and I think there's a lot of kind of confusion about how to use something like that and the kind of traditional method of just, you know, put him in the attic and go to Paris or, you know, a softer <laughs> version of that, which is just like spend some time on your own and think about what you've done, is um, doesn't have a lot of evidence. So that, that's not really helpful and it's a pretty crummy thing to experience as a parent and a child. What we talked about last week is, you know, what it's showing is that a child's struggling and you, you go in and help them actually and sometimes they need to come out of that environment but you go out with them. We kind of step through how to do that practically and it's, yeah, as we mentioned, it's been really nice to hear people found that helpful um, and, it's, yeah, it's one that if, if people want to go back and listen to, I think there's some useful stuff there. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, so I've heard that from two people. They said they actually used it immediately, which is really good, and they used it successfully. They said it worked. I was in the park. I had this challenge, and I just ripped it off, what you guys were talking about. I was like, that's awesome. Well done. And we had a couple of other people messages that said they kind of struggled with it. Um, I was really conscious of it, so I'll give you my personal take on it because I've sort of got to do the homework each week with the theory you give me. Um, I actually found the language you used or we discussed last week around that kid is struggling and to put it bluntly, probably a week ago I would have said that kid's being a bugger or they're being bloody annoying or they're just acting up or I would sort of label them a little bit more negatively, I'll be really honest. But I actually said, I said, oh, that kid's struggling and you actually go over and talk them through it and even without having to remove them a lot from the situation, just staying with them and just saying, hey, you know, you're sort of having a bit of a challenge right now. I wouldn't say that, but I can tell and just sort of talk them through. And then I did once have to sort of take one of the do- my daughters away and be like, all right, okay, let's go you know, remove them from the situation because it was a bit heightened, arguing over Play-Doh um, yeah. <laughs> as it is. But actually... 
not saying, oh, they're done, time out, and sort of trying to march off to the room, which I can't really do with a one-year-old, but, you know, with a three-and-a-half-year-old, you can do a little bit more. Yeah. Um, probably should. <laughs> I don't know if you should. I don't think you should. No, that was the idea that we don't. And just um, just taking a moment and then bringing them back and just staying with them. I thought it was it was actually really useful, but I was far more conscious of it. So, yeah, it wasn't the week before, I guess. No, and it's it's funny, one it like everyone parents differently. Like there's, you know, how you were parented, your cultural mm. approaches, what you believe in. Mm. Um, but actually just one of the most powerful bits of evidence for good parenting is thinking about how you parent. So there's heaps of people that are just drowning and they're like, I've just got to get through today. I can't sit here and write notes on how I'm parenting. <laughs> but I think it is a good example of like you were thinking about it and I've done the same thing, but you were thinking about you know, how am I approaching this kind of stuff and what happens if I do it a little bit differently? And that Mm. beautiful bit, which I think you emphasised well then and maybe I didn't so much last time, is actually staying with them after it. And Mm. so what it is is like they're succeeding then. So, you know, your daughters are playing really well together and you stay there and keep reinforcing it. And that's a really beautiful part of it as well. The hard thing is often you're like, cool, it's not chaos. I'm going to go get dinner ready. I'm going to get the laundry done. I'm going to clean up but actually reinforcing it because the most powerful reinforcement for most kids, especially kind of in the preschool, school age, is, you know, attention and interaction from parents. Yeah. It just, uh, I don't know whether it was a language, but it was just, it just felt really different with the way it was, you know, labelled and I was just able to sort of see it for what it was, not sort of like, yeah, I just, I don't know, found it really useful doing it that way. And as we sort of said, um, some people did really well and others had struggled with it and they just said, oh, like, no, nah, too late in the day, didn't work. But that's like, that's like you get five chances a day with parenting, right? Like all the time, like there's always the next opportunity and whatnot. So Definitely. We often talk about like in clinic either with, you know, newborn babies that are really unsettled and that can be really hard mm-hmm. or, you know, teenagers that you're kind of struggling with the relationship and boundary setting and things like that is that you kind of have a plan A and a plan B. And so your plan A is kind of like, cool, I'm going to sit with them, I'm going to listen, I'm not going to judge, I'm going to respond to their need, I'm not going to problem solve straight away, I'm going to guide them through. But plan B is kind of like I do what I need to do to get through this moment. And if, if a parent is heightened or exhausted or finding it really tough or you don't have the capacity for plan A, it's actually okay to do plan B. Because there'll be another opportunity, as you say, for plan A. And the beautiful thing about this research is that a lot of it shows that it's actually, you don't have to be the perfect parent. You just, if kind of 50, 60% of the time you can try some of the plan A stuff, Yep. it really helps with um, that development, which is what we're all trying to achieve. Yeah, 100%. And I guess, yeah, plan A and plan B, speaking of which sort of lets us talk to sort of what went really well outside of just the time out for us each week. Um, so this week um, we might kick off with our Winslows. So we have Winslows and Griswolds. Um, the Winslows are the big wins of the week and that is uh, the dad, Carl Winslow, from uh, Family Matters. Um, might just go to the great man right now yeah. for his words of wisdom. I don't object to fun. I love fun. In fact, I'm the grand funk master of fun. <laughs> so critically, Carl... Such a warm, nice voice. Yeah, it's beautiful. Of course, Steve Urkel comes in and just turns his life upside down, always does. Um, it, this is about things that have actually gone really well for the week. So I might let you start with what's actually gone well for you. Yeah, so I think it's really important. The reason that the Winslows and Gridwolds exist is that it's really nice to celebrate some of the stuff we're doing really well. 
and they're you know they're often small victories but they're really important um and obviously the griswolds is like the reality of parenting versus kind of the social media or i'm doing everything perfectly yeah. stuff so my yeah my winslow this week has actually been in reflecting from the previous week i've just changed something that i do and what i've changed is the language that i use when i respond to my daughter when she's struggling so what I often do with my daughter when she's really upset or crying or whatever is, you know, she's seven months old. So I will go over and say, you're okay or it's okay. Yeah. I just, I imagine there's lots of people that do that. So I don't think I'm alone just saying, you know, and I, I'm, I believe that. I believe she's okay. I don't think anything's yep. dramatically yep. happening or she's in danger or anything. But I've actually stopped doing that and I started saying I'm here. And I think the reason I've changed that is because I think that, it, you know, I don't think she at seven months old can tell the difference between you're okay and I'm here. Mm. But it changes how I approach it. If mm. I change it as you're okay, I kind of in myself feel like I'm kind of dismissing her a bit and, hey, like, what are you making a big deal of this for? Like, I'm just here. You can see me or, you know, you, I can pick up the block and get it to you and put it in your reach or whatever it is. Whereas if I'm saying I'm here, it reminds me of what my role is. Mm. My role is to support her. And whether she's seven months old or 17 years old, mm. I think it's, a, it's really important that we think about the language that we use when we're coming into kids when they're struggling, not so much for what they're hearing, but for how we're approaching it. So really by, saying, by not saying, oh, it's okay, it's okay, like you're not just glossing over or just like going, yeah, yeah, it's all good, don't worry about it. You're actually, yeah. Trying more present, is that the idea? Yeah, so I'm validating what is happening for her. Yep. But I'm also reminding myself that what she's experiencing is valid and my role is to support her, not to kind of dismiss it or say, actually, this is no big deal. Yep. Okay. Mm. Well, I like that one. Well, my wins low of the week. It was a little one, but it's changed things a lot. It's actually been stunning here this week, beautiful weather. So we had the longest day of the year and... um. I had been persisting with trying to get my kids to go to sleep at 7.30, um, which is like, you know, regularly everyone down at 7.30 in the middle of winter. I'm pretty new at this and I realised that and sort of I'd, from the guidance people, it's like, mate, give up on that in the middle of summer because the rooms are a little bit west-facing so the sun belts into the bedroom and it's like I go in there to put them down and it's like, yeah, no, nah, the kids aren't having it. <laughs> they're, not, they're not interested. So we just sort of gave up on it a bit. Do the bed, uh, do the bath now instead of going straight to bed. Just cut a lap of the block, and they can sort of run off that last bit of energy without getting too fired up. And it's been really good, actually. Just like I don't know, I've been capturing nice photos because it's such a good time of night to take photos and whatnot. Um, and the kids are sort of running in the neighbours' gardens and um, pinching a couple of strawberries. <laughs> um, and they've just liked it, so it's been it's been good. So that's been the that's been the win of the week, just sort of. Giving up and just being a bit more aware of like, yeah, this is going to be tough um, for the rest of summer with these two small ones. And um, later bedtimes for everyone, nine o'clock it is. <laughs> yeah, it's really beautiful actually. Um, and I've been lucky to score some of those photos. And um, you're certainly not condoning stealing strawberries. These no. are neighbours that you know <laughs> no. um, that you help out with their gardening. No, no, but, that's, uh, true. <laughs> that's true. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's as much ours as the neighbours. We, we do it together, but yeah, it's, uh, it's right in front of their job. The, the beautiful thing about it as well, Nick, is um, like a lot of families that are going through a tough time, what I talk with them about is finding those sanctuaries in your week um, and you've found one at the moment that is probably really powerful for you and your partner as well of just like this is not work time, this isn't kind of getting the girls ready for bed, it's not organising dinner or cleaning up, it's actually just about us being together and 
that's a real sanctuary for your daughters as well. Um, and I think having those things in place is really powerful for kids as they get older as well because they go, yeah. I'm having a tough time, mum and dad might be arguing or I'm in trouble at school or whatever's gone on. But mm. that sanctuary is always going to be there. I'm always going to have that opportunity to kind of spend time with mum and dad. Mm-hmm. And that's immovable. Like that's just always what happens. And that's okay. a kind of... Yeah, beautiful thing that I hear from families about what they build in to protect the relationship and, you know, how everyone's going. Yeah, no, it's been really good. But for every ying, Billy, there is a yang. So for every Winslow, there's a Griswold moment. So a moment where it hasn't gone so perfectly and things haven't gone great, but might throw to Clark W. right now for his words of wisdom. Hey, don't let your mother smell that beer on your breath. She'll take it out on me. never gonna get old it might i don't know <laughs> no not for us anyway it's an amazing scene if anyone hasn't seen the whole scene it's a great physical and scripted comedy yeah it's brilliant him and russ anyway um so this is where things haven't gone great so i am um, typically it's where you might have maybe lowered your color colors as a parent um I, I didn't really have that bad a moment this week, Billy, because I actually took a couple of days out from parenting with gastro. So I um, I guess my lowering of my colours was the fact that I just had to um, go down for a couple of days sick. And um, well, I didn't quite lower my colours. You know, my partner, Henry, had just marched through, didn't get sick. The girls and me were, <laughs> were all really sick for about four days, um, crossing over each other. But um, I really probably... Maybe you could argue needed the most sympathy and support through the period. It's <laughs> <laughs> a typical dad move. Yeah, typical yeah. dad move. And I just was like, Ugh. and I think Henrietta was just like, okay, all right. And she took care of two very sick kids and um, one sort of uh, quite sick man. Yeah. <laughs> so so not, was it was it? I didn't I didn't do it too bad, but I uh, yeah we we battled it three out of four going down. But mum just marches through, which is pretty typical. Yeah, and it's amazing because I know both of you fairly well and you're an amazing team like that and I think a lot of it is about just getting through. And so, yeah, while you might feel like you, you weren't that present, I'm sure that um, you'll get Henry back one day if she ever actually gets sick. <laughs> That's amazing. And what about you? How'd you go? Uh, yeah, so I – yeah, my one I was thinking about this um, just happened yesterday actually. So I've, I've been um, watching a vet get much better at moving around and – you know, for the first kind of six months of her life, wherever you put her, she was kind of going to stay. So mm-hmm. she was pretty safe. And um, I gave Annalise, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a lecture and said, you know, you've got to be careful leaving her on the couch now. She's moving around. She might fall off and, you know, bump her head and, uh-huh. you know, we don't want her to get hurt. And um, Annalise was great and said, yeah, really, it's a good point. Like, we've got to be careful where we leave her now because she's moving around and rolling well and stuff like that. Literally, Annalise went off to work and then a couple of hours later, I... Um, I was brushing my teeth or something and I come around the corner and I've left a vet on the couch and she's like cliffhanger just on the edge of the couch about to go down onto the timber floor. So it was a nice reminder about how easy it is to tell people how to parents and how hard it is to actually do it. (laughs) It is like that. I saw her the other day. Um, Vet was around and you were really surprised. Remember seeing you going, how did you get from there to there? She's not even walking or crawling. I'm like, oh yeah, here it comes. Yeah, it's so funny how many things there are like parenting with that where people are like, oh, just you wait, you know, just you wait until they're moving or wait until they're talking or wait until, you know, they're driving. And you're oh. kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm sure it'll be fine. It, yeah, it's not, I mean, it's not that it's not, it's just get, you're not ready. I'm not ready for any of it. Like, I'm, 
yeah, it, it, I find it the leaps. I always think I'm going to be prepared, and then something happens. I'm like, oh god, they're talking, and they're understanding, and they're repeating and doing something, and you're just like, what? Where did it come from? Yeah, it's a beautiful thing to watch, isn't it? I still can't imagine that this little bub that's in my arms is going to become, you know, this big person. And um, I can't wait to hear how she thinks about the world and how she sees it. And it's all really exciting. It is. Um, but let's move this one along, Billy. Let's get to our topic of the week. So we've got our movie, which is Terminator 2. But I might let you introduce the topic and name the topic. And uh, let's hear a bit about it. I can't wait to see yeah, I, I think the topic we've picked for this week, and this this is a really hard movie because there's so many different avenues we could go down um, because of how many opportunities it gives us to talk about different aspects of parenting. But um, I think what we've decided is to talk about how we respond to emotions mm-hmm. um, because I think the scene that we've selected gives a beautiful opportunity to think about that. Um, and we're, we're certainly not being critical of anything that happens during these movies or anything that we or other parents are doing, but I think it is nice to think about how are some ways that we can really ensure that our kids thrive in this in this area. And emotional development is definitely one of those areas that I love talking about and I think is really valuable for parents to, to think about in a certain way. Yeah, okay, rightio. So how does this, is there any sort of history to this sort of stuff or like a long-studied stuff? Yeah, yeah, there is. So developmental psychology has kind of looked at childhood and the progression that we have for decades now. Um, I think, you know, one really cool way of thinking about it is that emotional development is the same as other forms of development. So with our kids and their motor development, you know, they, Mm -hmm. as we've just talked about, Evie's rolling and she's shifting around. She's maybe doing early crawling stuff. She'll then pull up and she'll take some steps and then she'll be walking and then she'll be running. Yeah, yeah. The same thing happens with her language development. So she coos and gars and can mm-hmm. socially smiles and looks at us and she's, you know, making some new sounds kind of every couple of days. And then she'll say some words and then she'll put those words together and have sentences and conversations. <laughs> so what those two things are doing, whether it's talking or walking, is she's becoming independent. So mm-hmm. she's walking towards independence. She's, you know, talking towards being independent. And the same thing happens emotionally. So we have an emotional developmental trajectory that all of us have where we get mm. better at our coping strategies, understanding emotions, you know, how we utilise our emotions and how they influence our behaviour. And kids at the start need heaps of support with that. So when they're little babies and they're crying, they need a lot of support around their emotions. So we okay. need to come in and support them and rock them and cradle them. And, you know, then we start getting more language-based and we talk to them and explain to them about things like that and what we're actually moving towards is the same level of independence where, you know, your adult children will call you up and say, hey, you know, my relationship is falling apart or Mm. I've just, you know, had a change at work or I'm feeling really anxious about something. And that emotional support is still coming in, but at a much, you know, less intense level. So how do we as parents support our kids to that emotional development and achieving that independence? Yeah, okay, so... I'm coming in cold on all this thing, which is what we're trying this week. I don't get, I don't get the intro on the topic. So, when do you do you start talking to your kids about emotions, or do you start and do you label them? Like, yeah. So, yeah, it's a really good question. So, the way that I think about emotions and how parents can, you know, really be supportive is there's really three elements to it. Mm-hmm. So the first element is how you respond to emotions and that's what we're going to talk about this episode and probably other ones because there's a lot of information to talk about. So the first bit being how we respond to emotions when the child's struggling. 
The second bit is how we talk about emotions. So how do we talk about emotions outside of when a child's struggling? So dinner table conversations, going for a walk around the neighbourhood. How do you talk about emotions? Yeah, so okay. making sure that kids have a good understanding that, you know, emotions are normal and we all have emotions and, you know, they're really important, powerful and rich part of life. Then the third bit is, you know, role modelling. And we need to understand how important we are as role models to our kids in how we have emotions and what we mm. do with them. And the point is it's not about being perfect. We need to show that our kids, you know, that we have emotions and that we also struggle with them at times and that we're trying to get better at them. And that's a beautiful opportunity to role model. Okay, so I'm just trying to think like practically if you're I'm trying to think like I can see myself, <laughs> this is going to be bad. I can see your kids can probably tell when you're really happy I can probably tell when you're upset or angry because you, you know, you're like, oh, you know, what's going on? All the stuff in between, like, to me, there's obviously a lot of emotions in between all that. But, like, how do you work in explaining something? Because those two are easy. Happy and sad are easy. But it's like, how do you work through the ones that are more complex, like anxious or... Yeah, definitely. Anxious or anxiety is a really good point, worried actually. Or yeah, or worried. To figure we'll, it out. Do, we'll do a, a separate topic just on anxiety because it's a really important one. But you make a good point of when we're responding to emotions, the first thing as parents that's important is that we notice them and we catch them. Mm. And some kids are really good at showing us that they're struggling. You know, they have what we call externalizing symptoms. So they get angry and they throw stuff and they yeah. shout and they yeah. flash out. Those kids are pretty good at, you know, showing us that they need support. Whereas mm. some kids, especially kids with anxiety, they'll internalise, so they withdraw mm. and they shut down a bit. And it's really important that we've got to be looking pretty carefully sometimes for, you know, kids signalling to us that they're having emotions. And mm. that signalling is really important um, that we recognise it. And often it won't even be in language. It'll be in kind of, you know, what the kids are doing with their body, how much eye contact they're maintaining, how mm. present they are, are they kind of taking themselves away. And it's really important that we, our first step of responding to emotions is actually noticing them. Yeah, rightio. So I've got a three-year-old. Like what would, it's probably going to be different to a 13-year-old because someone's got 10 more years on me and dealing with emotions. But I suppose that's, or am I talking to my one-year-old or am I like, what do you, how do I kick this sort of thing off or what are the sort of behaviours me as a parent? Other than just catching them, what else can I sort of be doing to talk about it? Yeah, so it's a good point. What's the next step out of I've noticed it? So we think about emotions kind of as a feeling that a child is internalising and the behaviour is often a consequence of that. And sometimes we're trying to correct behaviours missing that there's an emotion underneath it. But in a Yeah, so I think that's an important thing to recognise that the behaviour that we're seeing, like, you know, hitting a sister or getting yeah. upset... What's the emotion that's going on underneath, underneath that? It, yeah, is yeah, a different yeah, yeah. way of thinking about it. And what's the experience for that child? Also, when you're three, like they're just going to be much more kind of physical based. We know that in cognitive development is that they mm. they don't kind of conceptualize in their head things as much. They kind of just act out on them. And so, so hold on. So the emotion drives the behavior a bit. So if I see them doing something that's a bit wild, I'm or really good. It's like it is driven by an emotion. So that's kind of the, the center of it. Definitely. Yeah. So definitely it's just a different right. way of thinking about it than kind of, oh, I wish she wasn't throwing those blocks. Yeah. How do I make them behave better? Yeah. Instead of that, like yeah. what's going on for them? And 
I think that, you know, you make a good point. What's the difference between a three-year-old and a 13-year-old? I think the 13-year-old is still very likely going to struggle to give perfect language of how they're feeling. Mm. They're not going to say, hey, mum, I'm really anxious about going to school tomorrow because I haven't seen those kids in a while and I'm really worried. Why would they struggle? Like well, it's really hard language to use. I don't yeah, know okay. about you. It's hard yeah. for me to do that to you know to verbalize <laughs> what I'm feeling. So <laughs> Mate, spot on. Yeah. So I think we've got to be careful that we don't kind of go. Well, you're a teenager. You should have all this sorted out now. Like, so I think it's you know it's a really important bit. And we're going to do future episodes on different ages. But I think a lot of this stuff it's just about changing what where your setting is on the expectations you have upon the child. But often we pitch our expectations too high. And kids fail at it, so they can't explain to us because they're so overwhelmed. And then we kind of lose the ability to connect with them. So how do we kind of go to where they're at and understand that's an emotion that they're expressing to us and how do we support them? So I think that kind of is the next step beyond kind of noticing it. I guess the step after that is how do we make sure that they feel safe in expressing those emotions and that we not only, you know, make sure that we're not judging them but we're validating them yeah got a quote i don't know if you'll be able to answer this one why do we pitch the behaviors too high is because we see some kid on social media is perfect and we're like oh my kid can do the same thing or why do we part of it i think another part of it is that we think that kids are all just level in how good they are at stuff so a perfect example of that is i see really bright articulate kids that are having a lot of emotional difficulties Mm -hmm. and well-intended parents are kind of sitting on the end of the bed with them and saying hey like i can see this is really tough but you know we've spoken about you sharing with your sister and you know it's really important that you know you do understand her feelings and those kids are really good afterwards at going you know what, you're right, my sister is a person as well, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm in high school and she's in primary school and I do need to think about her more. But just because you are quite articulate doesn't mean you have mm-hmm. good emotional development and yeah. those kids are the most vulnerable at being things being pitched too high for them and kind of going, hey, you're really capable. Why are you not capable in this as well? Okay. Yeah. So we've got, there's actually a few movies that oh we'll, God. we'll delve into this yep. a bit more, but this is relevant to this one as well. Occasionally you say, <laughs> say things and I go, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, right. but it's just about us and I've done together. that. I, haven't, I wouldn't have said that, but I'm like, oh, that's exactly how I think about I'm like, oh, God, come on. Yeah, you've got a really bright daughter. So, you but know, then, she's so amazing at so many things, but it doesn't mean she's amazing at everything. So there's some things she's going to need support with a bit more than others. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I find it hard to move on sometimes. I'm like, oh, God, I wish I... All right, I have to listen to this back and do something about it. Yeah, it's a good one. All right, you got me. All right, how about we um, How about we move into our scene? Um, so we're going to kick off. So we've got... I feel like I've got the theory and understanding about that and the emotions cool. and understanding behaviours behind it, which is really good. But we're going back to 1991, as we said at the top. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. Like, this is Arnie at his height. This is Linda Hamilton coming off Terminator. She's come off King Kong. Also, huge introduction of young Eddie Furlong. Guns N' Roses soundtrack, like, big film. One of the biggest twist reveals in movie history oh, with Arnie being the I, good guy. I actually watched it back, and I was thinking, if you hadn't seen anything at the time, you might have still thought, up until the scene where they can where they meet each other in the psychiatric ward, Arnie still might 
yeah, like it's yeah, I don't know. She mm. yeah. Anyway, it's just fantastic. Um, but I wanted to um, yeah, that that's kind of the context. But where we are in this particular scene is this is this is not um one of the most famous scenes. This isn't Hasta La Vista, baby. This isn't like liquid metal stuff. This is um, they've just escaped the T one thousand. So John and um. John and Arnie have just gone and busted Sarah out of Pescadero. They're in the back of a yeah, yeah, the psych ward. They're in the back of a stolen cop car, and they've just um, gotten rid of the T one thousand for the time being. And John and Sarah are catching up for the first time in I don't know. Feels like it's sort of five years, eight years. Yeah, it's a long time for a long time. Yep. He's not back. There's nobody behind us. Are you all right? Yeah. Can you even see anything? I see everything. Oh. Come here. I said it was okay. It was stupid of you to go there. God damn it, you have to be smarter than that. You almost got yourself killed. What were you thinking? You cannot risk yourself, even for me. Do you understand? You're too important. Do you understand? But... I had to get you out of that place. I'm sorry. I didn't need your help. I can take care of myself. What's wrong with your eyes? Nothing. There it is. Yeah, it's a powerful scene. It's really funny watching the whole movie again, um, thinking about, you know, responding to emotions and particularly this scene, but the rest of the movie as well. Yeah, it's um for those who haven't been able to watch it, it is on the Instagram page, uh, Pop Culture Parenting. Um, they're in the car. John uh, reaches in for a hug with Sarah straight off the bat, and he thinks he's getting a warm emotional embrace, and she's just checking for sort of bullet holes or damage to him. And then they sort of push away, and he's just she she's just like you're a fool, and says all well, obviously those main things, and he's just like. Oh, I haven't seen you in so long and this is how we've caught up or reconnected. Yeah, so we noticed that, you know, she goes straight in. She's, you know, a loving mum who's obviously experienced all this huge trauma herself, but she goes straight in and you can see John relax in the embrace. Like, and he's, you know, it's really well shot because you can see how comfortable he is then. Um, very quickly, she starts patting him down. And you realise that she's actually only checking his physical needs, not his emotional needs. And you can see John's face and body sink again. Um, And, you know, it's understandable where that's coming from, but it's been such a long time since he's seen his mum. And it's also, he's gone through this hugely traumatic experience himself. um, And she kind of has missed an opportunity to meet his emotional needs. And once she realises he's physically okay, goes into kind of, having a go at him for saying, I don't need your help. And you can hear kind of the turmoil that he has of, I had to get you out of there. Yeah. And then obviously like he starts sort of crying, which is what you might not be able to obviously tell from the footage, but Arnie calls it out as well. 
Yeah, it's really beautifully written because when the bit where Arnie says, I see everything, he's turned off the car headlights and that's why John Connor says, you know, how can you see where you're going? He says, I see everything. And what we see through the whole movie actually is that Arnie is, you know, learning human behaviour. Mm. So there's like the silly scenes where he learns us to la vista and how to give a high five and yeah. all of those things. Yeah. But there's actually a beautiful bit in it where John is teaching him about emotions and feelings. And we see that a few times through the movie really powerfully here because he says, you know, what's wrong with your eyes? And there's a few callbacks to that. You know, I now know why you cry um, at the end. But also he's teaching him about like what, what it embraces and so Sarah Connor here embraces John because she's worried he's physically hurt but then cuts away from it once she realizes he's okay later in the movie we see Sarah really struggling so she's she get completely gets overwhelmed and breaks mm-hmm. down and is crying John does this beautiful thing where he realizes she's physically okay and then goes in and hugs her and it's this really beautiful reminder of the difference between the two of them and then we see right at the end when Arnie is about to go into the lava or wherever it is and he realises he has to sacrifice himself and John's really struggling that he's going to go, Arnie embraces him mm. because he knows that that's a form of emotional support. And it's this beautiful thing about how important that is for a lot of kids. And this kid is older, you know, he's 10 or 11 or whatever it is, but mm. he still it's not about saying the right thing to him. It's about like physically comforting him. And Arnie's learnt that through the movie by watching Sarah in this scene, maybe not do it perfectly. John do it really well with his mum later in the movie and then he kind of gives that back to John as a way of embracing him and telling him, I know this is really hard. Yeah, right. So taking it back to the scene we've just watched and Sarah responds the way she does, like, you know, it's dramatic, it's a dramatic scene and not all the time you're being chased by a liquid metal term- <laughs> Terminator. Yeah, hopefully that happens to none of our listeners. Well, it's, it's rare. <laughs> it's got to be it's rare. rare. <laughs> it's rare. Um, but with that, like, watching John there and watching Sarah, what would a better way kind of been to come at it? Yeah, so I think we need to give Sarah a bit of a break and say, like, this has been really hard for her. And I know you're not criticising Sarah. No, no, I'm not. No, she she has but one goal. She's <laughs> got to save the human race. No, I'm not kidding. Exactly. She, that's what she's fixated on. I get it. No, but it's actually a beautiful point of the movie is that Sarah Connor is really fixated on just surviving. And I think there's a lot of parents that are probably thinking about just surviving. <laughs> yeah. Whereas John for some reason, has more capacity than that. And that's why he, you know, is thinking about more than just surviving. He's teaching Arnie all the social norms. He's saying don't kill anyone to Arnie, even at the risk of humanity. You know, don't kill the guy who built the chip and all that stuff. Yeah, that is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and it's a really well-written kind of difference in between the two of them. And I think that in the moment what we know is that, you know, Sarah's really struggling but she's such a survivor and she's tried mm. to teach John about that. She's mm. John's constantly heard that he's going to be the saviour and now he knows it's true that he's all of humanity depends on him leading the resistance. But he hasn't really heard much about love and relationships and those things in what we've seen. Mm-hmm. And those things are really important and that's the beautiful relationship that we see him form with Arnie and him re-established with his mum when she is then comforted by him and then she comes and realises, you know, that this stuff is really important. I think the other beautiful thing about this scene is that 
it's pretty obvious that this has been a really hard moment for John. Like he's just hasn't seen his mum in years. He's rescued her from a psych ward. He's nearly died doing it. He's nearly seen his mum die. And he's had to, you know, realise that all this crazy stuff his mum is telling him is actually true. Yep. So that's a way we can signal sometimes that, you know, my child has just been bullied. They've just had this happen. They're going to need support. But actually sometimes we can't see that. We don't have that obvious a situation to go, you're going to need support. And the important thing is that we don't decide as parents how big a deal the circumstances are or what's mm-hmm. happened. The child does. And we acknowledge and validate, yeah, actually that, that must be really hard for you because I can see you're struggling with it. So instead of kind of, yeah, well, look, you didn't make the basketball team, but yesterday you didn't really care about basketball. So why is this a big deal? You say, actually, this is really tough for you. So, you know, it's really important that I don't judge how big the situation was. But this is an obvious one that, of course, John's going to be struggling emotionally. So back to a more practical one, like just take that basketball one you just said. What do you do as a parent, like right then, when they're feeling that sort of moment? I think the important thing that we see in this scene is that John's not really looking for the perfect answer or for Sarah to say the exact right thing. What he's actually looking for is her to just physically be there and embrace him, you know, and just really respond to his needs. And she misses some of those cues. The cool thing is that Arnie almost checks in. So he goes, what's wrong with your eyes? And he Mm. actually doesn't know what crying is. But he's, he's picked up something that Sarah's missed. And you could accuse Arnie of being dismissive because he doesn't follow it up when John says nothing when about him crying but actually what Arnie could be doing is responding to John's need and saying I'm showing you that I'm picking up that you're crying you're saying nothing and that's actually okay because you've just signaled to John I'm I'm here I notice that you're struggling and I'm going to let you decide what we do with it but I really want you to be aware that I'm open to this conversation and whether it's you know what's going on in the car in Terminator 2 or your child's just struggling so you make the basketball team. I think the important bit is I'm noticing you and I'm here. Okay. Yep. That makes a lot of sense to me. Mm. It's really hard to do though. And, you know, once again, Sarah's had her own trauma. So that's probably why she's missed it because she's thinking I've survived. You need to survive. That's all that matters. We're just trying to survive. That whole survival thing, yeah, (laughs) just get through. (laughs) Which is fine. It's just what we're looking for is instead of just surviving, we want to be thriving. And I think that's the beautiful thing that we eventually see in the relationships in this movie is that they get to the point where, you know, Arnie's understanding emotions of what friendship is, you know, Sarah's being reminded of how powerful the relationship with her son is and john is showing these amazing leadership qualities that he's actually beyond that he's kind of thinking about humanity as more than just we need to get through it yep i'm just feeling for sarah a lot right now i'm like oh, it's obviously really hard you just come out of like an actual gunfight and jailbreak and it's like it's hard it's hard to like switch gears and be emotionally attuned or June, is that what it is? Um, Definitely, yeah. She's, you know, she's probably struggling, so she's had no support. She falls in love with this guy, you know, Reese. who also comes back from the future in the first movie. Yes. He then dies really quickly and she's kind of left with this huge, like the weight of the world literally on her shoulders literally. of everything's up to you, yep. otherwise humanity's gone. And so she's had to harden like that and she's tried to teach John that. 
but it's actually about more than that. So there's got to be a reason of why we're hardening and surviving, and that's the beautiful message of Terminator Two, which people might hopefully <laughs> agree with us. <laughs> it is. I, it, I'm, it's like watching. It's like I don't know. It's like watching Rocky now, and then realizing it's Rocky's like an emotional <laughs> film. It's not a boxing movie. It's like oh, there's more layers to a '90s action flick than I had appreciated. I've got to be honest. Yeah. Well, this is why I think it's such a beautiful movie, and I, you know, I, I think that this is a really cool way of thinking about this stuff instead of just a textbook and going, "Cool, yeah." So the first step is do this. The second step is do this. Actually, like, what would I do if I was Arnie? I might say I can. I noticed that this is going on. You know, maybe that's the first step. God, yeah, heavy. So, Billy, to sort of summarise it though, like practically speaking, right? Yep. So, kid comes to you, and they're having, or they're reaching out. They're being sort of vulnerable, like John was. Yep. What do you do, like as a parent, three years old, or let's go middle, eight year old? Yep. So the important bit is that you just did automatically is they're reaching out. Mm-hmm. So they're not having a tantrum. They're not kind mm. of breaking down. They're not swearing at you. They're reaching out. So looking for them as emotions and opportunities of connection is really important as the first step in responding to emotions is seeing them as emotions and opportunities. The second bit is, you know, making sure that where possible, which is certainly not all the time, but where possible we're really receptive and we're not judgmental about it. And we kind of give kids opportunities to feel safe. And the third bit is recognising that the response is actually a lot of the time not about language. And the beautiful thing we've seen through this scene and the rest Mm -hmm. of this movie is sometimes it's about, you know, physically comforting through a hug our kids and showing them that we're here and that we might not have the perfect answer or we might not be able to fix it now, but we'll figure it out together. Okay, awesome. Because I guarantee I won't have the perfect answer, but this means this week... I can try and put this into practice. Um, I guess hopefully, I mean, I don't want to hope for these things to come up. But I hope if I am presented with the opportunity, is it a good thing that I can actually try and use some of this? I'm not sure how much I'm going to get the chance, but I will try and apply this this week and I'll try and be mindful again like I was last week with the um, managing those sort of timeout struggling children situations. Um, but I think that that's, yeah, a pretty reasonable takeaway. Yeah, I think so, and I'm going to try too. This is something that no one's going to be doing perfectly. Yeah, but we'll come back and we'll discuss it in the next step. But in between now and then, I would love it. I would love it if people send us through anything around topics, like we've, we've spoken about timeout, we've now spoken about emotions, but also movie scenes that they'd like us to take a look at. So anything that they're like, that scene needs to be broken down and we can take a look at and those sorts of things and just fire any questions and all of all of those things can either come through um popcultureparenting at gmail.com or via our instagram on at popcultureparenting um just leave it there slide of the dms billy and i are both in there trying to sort of work it and get it going but um yeah we absolutely welcome any of it and we'll do some future episodes just on questions that came in and answering them. So please feel free to ask us. And really happy, the tougher the question, the better. Yep, awesome. All right, thanks, Billy. Thanks, Nick.
smell that beer on your breath, she'll take it out on me. I don't want to see you again for the rest of my whole life. I don't want to see anybody else either. Who is your daddy, and what does he do? Just use your best judgment. We trust you.